So <clears throat> over, over the course of years, I've had people request sermons from me, and that's always fun. You know, would you preach this? Or uh, one time Bobby Cardwell said, hey, would you redo the Ten Commandments series? And I did. That's a lot of fun. But as far as I know, all these years, Angie has never requested a sermon from me, although she suggested one a couple of weeks ago. She said, you remember back when you were all caught up with Jeff Walling? Jeff Walling's a Church of Christ preacher. He's still preaching, and the guy can pick it up and put it down the pulpit. And he'd written a couple books, and I was in, this is 35 years ago. And I had, had stolen a few, uh, read a few of his sermons, and uh, we'd gone through them a little bit. And she said, you remember that one you did about knowing God? This would be a good time in the middle of our campaign, prayer campaign, to just talk about knowing God. And um, by the way, we're on day 21 of that. Hope things are going really well for you. It's been a powerful thing. And, and she also had mentioned, I've really been kind of pounding some things from up here the last few weeks. And it might be nice to just get a nice, cool drink of milk and talk about knowing God. Good idea. We're going to talk about that. This is what Jesus says in in John chapter 17, verse 1 through 3. Uh, He says, Father, the time has come to glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you have granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to those who have given him. Now this is eternal life, Jesus said, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus said to disciples, now, I don't know what real life is for you guys. I don't know if it's getting a great job or getting, coming up with a lot of money or having a perfect family and education, but I'm telling you what real life is. True life is knowing God through Jesus. Now, let's pick up uh, down in verse 25 after his prayer for the disciples. He says, righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you've sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. I mean, I I desperately want to know God. I mean, I want to know Him intimately, and I don't think there's a person in a room here that would pass up an opportunity to really get to know God. That's why we're doing all this 40 days of prayer thing today. But despite that, that's not held up as a central theme in most of our churches today. I was thinking about this last week. It's not even held up as a central goal in most of our sermons. You don't hear very many sermons about knowing God. And I think one of the reasons is we're kind of confused on this. I mean, somebody comes up to me and says, hey, Cain, do you know God? I'm going to say, oh, what are you talking about? Are you asking me if I'm a Christian? I can tell you whether I'm a Christian. What do you know? What do you mean do I know God? Everybody knows God. I mean, most people could pick him out in the crowd. He's third from the left, the all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful one. But you know, there's a difference between knowing who somebody is and really knowing them, isn't there? Big difference. Raise your hand if you know who Joe Biden is. Come on, everybody plays. Do you know who he is? Okay, most of you informed. I'll pray for you. Uh, But there's a difference between knowing somebody and really knowing who they are. Uh, Anybody had him over for dinner this week? Played golf with him? See the difference? This is not a sermon about knowing about God. I've preached a lot of sermons about knowing about God. That would be easy. I could talk about his omniscience and his omnipresence and all the omni words. The, The problem in our churches today, and can I say in a lot of our homes, is not that we don't have enough information about God. It's that we don't know him on a personal level. I was thinking about Candy and I this last week. Candy and I grew up about three years apart, so we spent a lot of time together, my sister. And every now and then we'd get in trouble, and if we did, it was her fault because I was an ideal child. But we'd come in the house, and my mom would say, what have you two been up to? And we'd give her the patent answer. You know what it is? Nothing. And she'd look at us and say, I know you. She wasn't just saying, I recognize who you both are. No, she's saying, I can read you like a book. I can tell by the look on your faces you've been up to something. 
I want to ask you something. Do you know God well? Are you walking in his throne room during this 633 prayer time every night with a reference of who he is, but also with a confidence because he's your father in heaven? I'm glad we can sing this song, I'm no longer a slave to fear, but I'm a child of God. I want to know, do you know him like a child of God? I'm going to do three quick things with you this morning, and then we're going to be done. First of all, we're going to talk about what it isn't, and then we're going to talk about what it is, and then we'll talk about how to get it because we've substituted so many things for knowing God. I, I'm, a th- I'm thinking uh, way too often we pawn off the question, are you a Christian with, well, I'm a preacher, or I go to church. It's like the guy taking a survey out knocking on doors. He said, good afternoon, sir, I'm taking a survey. Are you a Christian? Well, I go to church every Sunday. Well, you go to the garage. Does that make you a car? You know what I mean? I mean, do we feel like we really know God well? First of all, let's talk about what it isn't. I am not talking about an ascetic system of rule-keeping. People have thought for years, and they still teach today, that the way to really get to know God, it's, a, it's, a, it's about chasing down rules and regulations, that somehow through some kind of ascetic system, you can come to know God. And if that's heady for you, let me put it this way. Some people think the way to really get to know God and have this relationship that we're trying to get together as a family here is a matter of toeing the line. It's a matter of doing it. And so we run off down this, uh, this road of rule-keeping, That's how come we're losing more teenagers today than we're baptizing. You did know that, right? We're losing more. And one of the reasons is they're taught from a very young age. They're taught in the churches. They're taught in the Christian schools. They're taught from the elders. And I don't mean the elders of the church. I mean all of us who are older than them, that the way to really get to know God, to really be this Christian and have this prayer life that we're talking about, it's a matter of following the rules. It's a matter of doing it. And I'm telling you, family, my relationship to God is not based on a set of rules for several reasons. Number one, I can't earn my way to heaven by following the rules. I'm saved by grace through faith. I can't please God by keeping the rules because I'm an ultimate failure at rule keeping. I promise, so are you. Paul says in Romans chapter 3, there is no one righteous, no, not one. And if that's true, and we know it's true, then the question becomes, why do we focus on the rules? Because it's easier than dealing with the face of God. See, if I can focus on the rules, I can just have a checklist. I can mark them off, and I don't have to worry about lots of intimate time in prayer with God. And even more than that, I can focus on your mistakes and your rules. Paul said something else in Romans chapter 8, verse 1 about the rules. It's pretty interesting. He says, there is therefore now just a little bit of condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Is that what he said? No, he said, there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And and we like to observe the Passover on that, you know, kind of pass over that passage, and we try to explain it away. you got to understand what Paul's really saying. I mean, you need to study the Greek here. I, I mean, Paul, you're not saying there's no rules. Paul says, I do not live by rules, period. Now, some of you are thinking, man, Cain, this is an old sermon. You should have fixed that. You know what I mean? Family, I want you to understand, I worship my Lord out of a love for Him. I serve Him in response to His goodness, but I cannot keep the rules. If I say I've not no sin, I'm a liar, 1 John chapter 1 says. We need to repent and say there are no rules. You say, great, you tell that to our young kids, we'll never get anything. I'm saying my relationship to God is not based on a set of rules because it leads me to defeat. And secondly, following the rules gives me a false sense of a relationship. I mean, you think about this for a minute. We could pay an atheist to do anything we're doing in here this morning. We could have paid him to come to church, pay him to sing with the worship team. We could have paid him to take communion, pay him to preach. Would they know the Lord? Not even close. 
but they could go through the motions like some of us do sometimes. That was the Pharisees' problem. Matthew chapter 22, they came to Jesus. They didn't say, hey, teach us how to get to know you better, Lord. No, they said, teach us the rules. We want to know what's the greatest commandment. Now, they take a lot of bad press, the Pharisees. They were, they were tuned into doing it good. They were good with a capital G. I mean, these guys wouldn't even put their socks on in the morning without thinking, now, which sock goes on first? But Jesus comes along and says, bless your hearts, fellas. As long as you're focusing on the rules, you just can't live right. There are no rules. The rules were meant to show us that we can't live right, and yet we still find ourselves saying, you want to be a good Christian, you got to do this, 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 and this. I'm saying if we want to be good Christians and have fulfilling prayer time like we've been talking about, we just get, need to get to know God intimately, and everything else falls together. Okay, now, some of you, I got you mad on this side. Let me go over here and make some other people mad. Some people are saying, man, I'm a preach it, brother. We're uptight today. We just need to, you know, we need to just let everybody be what they're going to be. Just, we just need to coexist and tell them that that's okay and that's okay and that's okay and any kind of lifestyle we want to live because God loves everybody and we just need to fill the church. So bring them in here. Anybody can do anything they want to do. Christians are just uptight, man. They're just so self-righteous. They're just so conservative. We just need to feel God inside of us. We just need to have God all around us. I'm warning you, you're buckling yourself in for the greatest roller coaster life ride in your life if your relationship to God and your prayer life to God is based on your feelings. Because I can manipulate your feelings just like that. I find the right illustration about a little kid, you know, or a grandpa, and get you all crying, tell a good joke, and bring it to a punchline. I'm just warning you, your feelings are manipulatable. And if you're not careful, somebody a whole lot less trustworthy than me, and I think there's one or two out there, a whole lot less trusting me is going to come along, get you to feel certain things, and you'll be digging in your pocket and giving money, and before you know it, your whole relationship to God's going to come crashing down because it's based on your feelings. Jeff Walling called this church camp religion. Y'all remember some of you older people remember church camp? Today it's CIY, it's super start, and what's the thing Louis Giglio does? Yeah, Pastor Weekend. Same thing. Man, you get to Friday night at church camp, and I mean, you are committed. You've been saturated in the Word. You've been talking about Jesus. You've been singing all week. You get to Friday night campfire. You're sitting around singing kumbaya. You're so, so, if Satan had showed up on Friday night, we'd have just arm wrestled him. You know what I mean? Well, what happens when you go back to school on Monday, kids, after CIY? What happens when you go back to work Monday, staff, you know? What happens when you come back to church the next Sunday, your home church, and people have stayed up too late on Saturday night partying, and so they come in here like this, and they're not ready to worship like we've talked about? You're saying, God, take me back to church camp, please. I'm just telling you, I I, I need this sometime. I need this good singing sometimes and this good preaching, but I can't live on it. I need you to pump me up sometimes and psych me up. I can't live on emotions. It's going to do that to me if my relationship to God is based on that. You know, I married Angie. I'm crazy about this woman. You all know that. I married her partly out of feelings almost 38 years ago. But if it had been all feelings, we'd been married about two weeks. Stayed out too late. Got, went to bed. She didn't have a chance to take her makeup off. <laughs> She'd had a chimichanga or some, I don't know, that stuff with the garlic, that stuff I don't know why people eat, and hadn't had a chance to brush her teeth. I rolled over that morning, and the bride of Frankenstein was laying next to me. What have I done? You know, I've been living on an emotional high, but I was trying to figure out there's more to this deal than just feeling good. You, you know what I'm talking about? It's not just rules. That's not the center of it. 
It's not just feelings. That's not the center of it. One more thing it is, and then we'll get on to what it is. My relationship to God is not based on masking and deceit. And some of us have been Christians for a long time in the church. We've gotten pretty good at that. We talk about examining ourselves. We need to do that once in a while. And we need to recognize who we really are. And we need to admit to ourselves and each other that faking godliness, man, it'll do three three things to you. It causes guilt, inferiority, and loneliness. And you can write those three things down and watch them happen. Families having trouble at home. Divorces being heard. Get up. We're going to church. That'll straighten this family out. We're going to church. You get up in the morning. Get out of that bathroom. We're going to be late. I'm sure you've never been through anything like it. Get downstairs. Who ate all the cocoa puffs? Where's the Pop-Tarts? Where's all the milk? And you fight all morning, all the way up to the car, pull down that dress. Pull up those socks, you know, and you fight all the way to church until you get inside the church. Oh, Brother Mark, it's so glad to see you today. Yes, yeah, my lovely wife, Angie. And we fake our way right into church and wait right back out again until the masks come off. We get in the car. I want McDonald's. I want pizza. Shut up. We're going home. You ever been there? I'll tell you what that would do to you. It would cause you to hate each other because you see the hypocrisy. It would cause you to hate God because you think it's his fault. What do you think it does to the people that are coming into church for the first time? And a teenager teenager shows up at church on Sunday morning, and somebody says, How you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Because that's what we say to each other on Sunday morning. How you doing? Oh, man, I'm doing good. I'm so blessed there should be two of me. How you doing? Oh, man, I'm wonderful. I'm so good. How's your relationship to God? It's good. It's wonderful. Because if you talk to somebody on Sunday morning and say, how you doing? They say, man, I about had it. I'm ready to throw in the towel. You'll park the waters. Nobody else will talk to you all Sunday morning. You know the kind of person I'm talking about? Always down. And you can brighten up a room by leaving it. You know what I mean? Nobody wants to be that person, so we all say everything's fine. And that teenager goes home at night, hangs his mask on the side of the bed, and cries himself to sleep because nobody in that church really knows me. What's that do for us? What's it do for the visitors that come in here? I know I've told you this before, but Kevin Cruz, first time he uh, came to Centerton, first time he'd ever been to church, ever, and uh, <laughs> he, he was, what, about 15 Long hair, cut off jean jacket, smelled, and uh, he came into church, and I was my third time I'd ever preached. And about halfway through my sermon, he got up and walked out. And so after church, I went outside, and he was standing up against the church smoking a cigarette. And I said, Kevin, what, did I offend you or something? He said, no, no, no. I said, well, what'd you leave? And he said, it's those people in there. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, they got it so together. They're so righteous. And I'm telling you, sometimes on Sunday morning, we dress it up, we look so good, looks like some of you look like you haven't sinned for so long, you forgot how to spell it. And he said, I can't fit in with these people. I, I smoke, I cuss, I've done drugs, I'm only 15, I've already, how am I going to fit in with these good, what am I supposed to tell him? Oh, they're all crummy, just get to know them, you know what I mean? Folks, why do we have this desire to put on a facade and act like we're something we're not instead of taking off our jackets and loosening our ties and say, Lord, we're not worthy of you, but we accept your forgiveness. Folks, I want to know God intimately, but I don't want some cheap imitation that the devil's pawning off. I want to know him, not rules, not feelings, not masking and deceit. What is knowing God? It's, uh, it's John chapter 10, verses 1 through 5, and I got to hurry. This is what Jesus says. 
He says, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought them all out, all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because what do you know? They know his voice. But they'll never follow a stranger's voice. In fact, they'll run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. I mean, you get this picture, right? Early morning sun coming up over the Judean hill, and I'm out there, and, and, and Mike's out there, and Mark's out there, and we've all got our sheep in the same sheep pen. Now, we didn't stay up with them all night. We hired some poor teenager to come and do that for us, you know, and uh, we got to come and get them out in the morning. It's a very typical scene that Jesus is describing. They're the watchman, I'm the shepherd. Now, it's morning time, and I got to get in there and get my sheep out without bothering anybody else's. How do I do that? Somebody says, look for the brand. Wrong. Jesus says he calls them. But I don't just say, here, Cain sheep. No, he says, and calls them by name. So I say, <clears throat> your attention, please. Muffy, buffy, fluffy, scruffy, this way. And the sheep say, oop, I got to go. That's my name. No, 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 no. No, you, you gotta, they got to recognize the voice. If you try to get my sheep, they're going to say, who is that guy? And if I try to get his, the same thing. You got to have a voice that they recognize. You, you know a voice you recognize or familiar with? Some of you, it's been a long time. You remember you're outside playing, and your mom would holler, come on in, supper time. Your friends wouldn't say, oh, how'd you know that was your mother? Everybody knows that voice. If you and I want to have this relationship that we're working on as a church with our prayer time and, and growing up in Christ, we got to get to a place where we recognize the voice of God. How are we going to do that? Well, you write down two words, trust and obey. It's an ancient song. It's a biblical principle of the sheep and the shepherd. The reason these sheep were willing to go anywhere the shepherd told them to, to go is because they had a, he had a voice that they ultimately recognized and trusted. He said it. We're going to do it. I don't care how crazy it looks. That's the way we've got to get with God. The problem is you really got to know God to have that kind of marching ability. I know I've told this story before, which is preacher's term if you're about to hear it again, but I was about seven years old. And I went to see Dr. Warbit, and I was sick. My dad took me. And uh, he loved sick kids. I know he did. And he'd take his stethoscope out of the refrigerator and poke it all over his chest, on my chest, you know. And then when he was done, he was all done examining, he looked down at me and said, you're a sick little boy. I felt like saying, you're a stupid little doctor. I knew that when I came in here. You know, what's the matter with me? So he rambles off all this stuff that I didn't understand. But he came to two words that really sunk in. He said, penicillin shot. Man, I hated shots. I didn't want to get a shot. And I started crying and pleading. And he said, no, it's the best thing for me. He convinced my dad. He said, pull your pants down and bend over the table. And so there I was like a target. And then he left. I always wonder why they do that. I know now why. He went out in the hall and said, give the kid about 10 minutes. Let him really work up and then go nail him. And sure enough, about 10 minutes goes by, and here comes this nurse, this ex-army sergeant nurse with Popeye arms, and she had what looked like to be a javelin with a three-foot needle on the end of it, and she came up to me and said, this won't hurt a bit. She lied to me. And I remember thinking, if I could get my pants up and get out that door, I'm going to run all the way home. But my dad, and I can't wait for you to meet him, he saw my fear. And he wasn't a very big guy, but he had these huge meat cutter hands, and he took my hand in his hand, and he said, Jimmy, it's all." That's all he said. It's all right. And with those three words, all my fears, gone. That woman could have been standing over me with a samurai sword, and I'd have laid right there because when my dad said it, he meant it. 
that's the relationship God wants with us. He wants to look down where we're scared to death. But God, they're mandating this, and they're telling us this. I know, sheep, but do you trust me? Yeah, but Lord, my finances and my kids. I know, I'm watching, but do you trust me? Yeah, but they're saying cancer, Lord. Little sheep, do you trust me? Yeah, then do what I say. You say, oh man, that sounds good. Yeah, but I didn't just say trust. I said trust and obey. You want to have this relationship with God. You've got to trust him enough. Whatever he says you're going to do. If he says put me first and all these things will be added, you'll put him first and all these things will be added. If he says love your neighbor as yourself, you're going to love your neighbor as yourself. If he says you stay with the true absolute of my word, no matter what else is going on around you, you're going to stay with the truth and the absolute of his word. Do you know how the shepherd got the sheep into the slaughterhouse in Jesus' day? It's very simple. You, come here. The sheep walk right in. Do you imagine you're standing in line with all these sheep, and the shepherd says to the sheep in front of you, come here, he comes in, they split his throat, he bleeds and dies right there, and then the shepherd looks at you and says, now you, come here. Uh-uh, not me. I got my sheep feet, I'm out the door, right? Uh-uh. If the shepherd says it, it must be okay. When they told my dad he was terminal, and all of us in the circle were boohooing, you know what my dad said? He said, I've always trusted in the will of God, and I still do. Would that we could have more Christians today with that kind of marching ability. How are we going to get it? Mark down two more words. Very easy. Quality time. I didn't just say time. I said quality time. The reason why these sheep were trusting the shepherd and willing to do whatever he told them is because they spent so much time with him and he proved his faithfulness to them. Folks, this is a house of prayer. I want you all's places to be houses of prayer. That's why we're praying together every night at 633. So we can become uh, people of prayer. Sheep who recognize the voice of the shepherd. That do what he tells us to do no matter what. So that when uh, the chaos hits and we see it all around us and things fall apart and we don't win and we don't, we don't, blah, blah, blah. We can say, I don't know why God's allowed this to happen, but I'll tell you this much. I spent a lot of time with him, and I trust him, and I know he's going to see me through. See, too many of us want to come in here once a week and get all of it done this morning because we got so much to do. Let's come in. We're going to go to church. We're going to take communion. We're going to come up to the altar. We're going to pray, 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 pray. And then out the door we go, and God says, who was that in here? We've got to spend some time with him. I'm going to tell you something else. Somebody told me, uh, a brother of mine told me, I've been kind of bold here lately, and I've been bold enough when it comes to invitation time. You know, when I first started preaching, invitation was the biggest punch of the sermon. For somehow over the years, I, I've gotten away from that. I apologize for that because that's why we're here, to take communion and to offer salvation to people who don't have it. And uh, we are running out of time. I think we're running out of time collectively, but even if I'm full of, you know, goofy stuff, um, we're all running out of time individually. I guarantee you this 7,500 years from now, there won't be anybody in here alive. How's that for a happy thought? Today's the day of salvation. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, I'm going to read you one more passage of Scripture. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give the relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. That's coming one of these days, I think pretty soon. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels, and he will punish those who say, who are you going to punish, Jesus? 
You going to punish all those crooks in Washington? Are you going to punish both sides of the aisle, by the way? You going to punish all those child molesters? You going to punish all those drug dealers? Read the text. He will punish all those who do not know God and obey the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you don't know God, this is your opportunity this morning because there's only one way, and it's through Jesus Christ. And it is amazing. The life and promises and the eternity that He promises you is here this morning from His broken body and shed blood. So those of us in Christ, we come up here today and we say, Lord, I'm all about you, and I... I'm not a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. I want to know you better. Those of you who don't know him, please come talk to me right now.